Next Chapter Podcasts. Hey, Play On Podcast listeners. I want you to be a part of the cast. Become a supporting cast member with Play On Podcasts for just $5 a month. Get in-depth interviews featuring some of the most brilliant artists working today. I talk to actors, playwrights, directors, and producers from the worlds of theater and Hollywood, pulling back the curtain on why they got into their profession, why these stories are so relevant today, and providing context on the process of making these plays in the podcast format. You'll enjoy ad-free episodes of the Play On podcast series, and maybe even a gift or two. Head over to playonpodcasts.com Click Supporting Cast and join the club today. We so love creating this content for you, and we hope you'll support us so we can bring you inside this rejuvenated, reimagined Shakespearean world. Join the cast. Supporting Cast. Go to ncpodcasts.com. Next Chapter Podcasts presents the Play On Podcast series, Henry V. Episode 5. Stumble so near the edge of the world. For the best listening experience, be sure to use headphones or earbuds. Be kind and eke out our performance with your mind. A friend. Announce yourself. I am a gentleman of the company. What are you? As good a gentleman as the emperor. Ooh, then you are better than the king. The king's a dear boy with a heart of gold. A lad of life, an imp of fame, of parents good, a fist most valiant. I kiss his dirty shoe. And from heartstring, (laughs) I love the lovely bully. My name is Pistol Called. It it suits well your fierceness. What is thy name? Harry. uh, Leroy. Leroy. A Cornish name. Art thou Cornish, Kruf? No, no, no. I I am a Welshman. Knowest thou Flewellen? (laughs) Yes. Tell him I'll knock the leak from his helmet and slap his ugly head with it upon St. Davy's Day. Do not wear a dagger in your cap that day, lest he manage to slap your head with it. Art thou his friend? And his kinsman, too. The finger for you, then. I thank you. God be with you. Captain Flewellen. Oh, I... In the name of Jesu Christ, speak lower, Captain Gower. It is the greatest conundrum in the universal world why the true and ancient prerogatives and laws of war are unkept. If you would take the trouble to study the wars of Pompey the Great, you shall find, I warrant you, that there is no tittle-tottle nor pibble-babble in Pompey's camp. I warrant you, you shall find the strategies of the wars and the rules of it and the forms of it and the consequence of it and the modesty of it. And yet the enemy is loud. We've heard him all night. 
If the enemy is an ass and a fool and a prating coxcomb, do you therefore think we should also look you be an ass and a fool and a prating coxcomb in your own conscience now? Uh, I will speak lower. I pray and beseech that you will. Though he appears a little out of fashion, there is much care and valor in this Welshman. Brother John Bates, is that the morning which breaks yonder? I think it be, but we have no great cause to desire the approach of day. We see the beginning of the day, but I think we shall never see the end of it. Mm. Who goes there? A friend. Under what captain serve you? Under Sir Thomas Erpingham. Mm, good old commander and a most kind gentleman. I pray you, what thinks he of our position? Mm. We are like men wrecked upon an isle who look to be washed off with the next tide. <laughs> Has he told his thought to the king? <laughs> no, nor is it right he should. Perhaps it's not my place to say so, but I think the king is but a man as I am. The violet smells to him as it does to me. The sky looks to him as it does to me. All his senses have human limitations. Without his fanfare and in his nakedness, he would appear but a man. And though his passions are staked higher than ours, when they fall, they fall from higher ground. Therefore, when he has reason for fear, as we do, his fears are no doubt of the same kind as ours. Yet, it stands to reason that he should not show any appearance of fear lest he dishearten his army. <laughs> he may show what outward courage he will, but I believe, as cold a night as tis, he could wish himself up to the neck in the River Thames. <laughs> I wish he were, and I wish I were beside him on such an adventure, so long as we are not here. <laughs> By my troth, I will say what I believe about the king. I think he would not wish himself anywhere but where he is. <laughs> then I wish he were here alone. <laughs> then he would be surely ransomed and many a poor man's life saved. I dare say you love him not so poorly to wish him here alone. Ah. <laughs> I, I would not rather die anywhere else but here in the king's company. His cause being just and his battle honorable. That's more than we know. Aye, and more than we should seek to know. For we know enough if we know what we are the king's subjects. If his cause be wrong, our obedience to the king wipes the crime of it out of us. But if the cause be not good, the king himself hath a heavy reckoning to make when all those legs and arms and heads chopped off in battle shall join together on judgment day and all cry, we died at such a place. Some swearing, some crying for a surgeon, some weeping for their wives left poor without them, some for the debts they owe, some for their children left fatherless. I am afeard that few die well that die in battle. For how can they to heaven go when they died in pursuit of blood? Now, if these men do not die well, it will be a sin upon the king that led them to it, for they cannot disobey without betraying their duty. So... If a son is sent by his father to the sea, and he, and he dies there without having made his last confession, you impugn that any wickedness is imposed upon his father that sent him? 
were if a servant under his master's command transporting a sum of money is assailed by robbers and dies before his trespasses are forgiven you may say the master is the author of the servant's damnation but this is not so the king is not bound to answer the particular endings of his soldiers the father of his son nor the master of his servant for they do not compel their death when they compel their services Besides, there is no king, no matter how pure his cause, who can rely on the innocence of soldiers in a matter of war. Some will have upon them the guilt of premeditated murder. Some of beguiling virgins with dishonest promises. Some, using the wars as cover, will have corrupted the gentle bosom of peace through pillage and robbery. Now perhaps these men will outrun the law and escape civil punishment, though they can evade men they have not the wings to fly from God. War is God's punisher. War is his vengeance. If there are men here who did breach the king's laws, they are punished now in the king's war. If they die unforgiven, the king is no more guilty of their damnation than he was guilty of the crimes for which they are now punished. Every subject's duty is the king's, but every subject's soul is his own. Therefore should every soldier in the wars do the same as men sick in bed and wash all sin from his conscience. If he dies, then death was advantageous to his soul. If he dies not, the time spent in mortal preparation was still blessed, for he hath made himself right with God. God has let him outlive that day to see his greatness and to teach others how they should prepare. I do not desire he should answer for me, and yet I am determined to fight for him. I myself heard the king say he would not be ransomed. Aye, <laughs> he said so. To make us fight cheerfully, but when our throats are cut, he could yet be ransomed and we'd be ne'er the wiser. <laughs> if I live to see it, I will never trust his word again. <laughs> <laughs> You'll punish him then. That's a deadly shot from a toy gun. For what can a poor and private displeasure do against a monarch? You may as well try to turn the sun to ice by fanning it with a peacock feather. <laughs> You'll never trust his word after. Come, tis a foolish saying. Your reproach is rather blunt. I should be angry with you if the time were convenient. Let it be a quarrel between us if you live. I embrace it. How shall I know you again? Give me any mark of yours and I will wear it in my cap. Then, if you ever dare acknowledge it, <laughs> I'll take up our quarrel. Here's my glove. Give me one of yours. There. This will I also wear in my cap. If you come to me after tomorrow, say this is my glove, and by this hand, I will box you on the ear. If I ever live to see it, I will so challenge you. You may as well be hanged. Well, I will do it, even if I find you in the king's company. Keep thy word. Fare you well. Ah, be friends, you English fools. Be friends. We have French quarrels enough, if you can reckon. Indeed. The French may wager 20 French crowns to one that they'll defeat us, for they have the advantage of such numbers. But it's sporting for the English to cost the French their crowns, and tomorrow 
The king will play the spoiler. Upon the king, let us lay our lives and our souls, our debts, even our anxious wives, our children and our sins. Lay on the king. I must bear it all. Such heavy burden accompanies greatness. And every fool has complaints, though most fools cannot feel anything but their own pain. There is such infinite peace that kings must abandon, but other men enjoy. What do kings have that other men do not except ceremony? And what care I for useless ceremony? What kind of god art thou that suffers more from mortal grief than all your worshippers? What is your cost? And where is your value? Oh, ceremony, show me what you're worth. For what reason can you be so adored? You are nothing but position, status, and pomp, all for the fear and awe of men. You are far less happy in being feared than other men are in their fear of you. And what can you taste? Never sweet homage, only poisoned flattery. Oh, be sick and see if ceremony can cure thee. Thinkest thou could break a fiery fever with a title born from ceremony? Will it give way to bows and curtsies? When you command a beggar to his knee, can you also rule his heart? No, for this is but a vain and narcissistic dream which plays its tricks whenever kings do sleep. I am a king, and therefore I know you. Tis not the scepter and the ball, tis not the sword, the mace, the imperial crown, the interwoven robe of gold and pearls, the haughty title which presents his grace, the throne he sits on, nor the tide of pomp that beats upon the high shore of this world. No, not these, even taken together nor laid out on a bed majestical can sleep as soundly as a mere peasant, who with a stomach full and carefree mind can rest and sleep stuffed with his daily bread, ne'er to see the horrid night rise from hell, but like a lackey toils from rise to set of the sweating sun, he can sleep all night as if in paradise. At next day's dawn, he rises with the sun to its chariot, following again each day and each year value in all his labor till his grave. If not for ceremony, this wretch who toils all his day and sleeps all his night has such a far advantage o'er his king. For this peasant enjoys his country's peace. He has little cause to even wonder what watch his king must do to maintain it. My lord, your nobles are anxious in your absence and seek through camp to find you. Good old knight. Collect them all together at my tent. I'll meet you there. I shall, my lord. <sighs> oh, God of battles, steal my soldiers' hearts. Possess them not with fear. And let them not be overwhelmed in comparing the number of our men to theirs. Not today, O oh Lord. Oh, not today. Mm. 
The sun shines upon us now, Prince Dauphin. Molde cheval, valet, bring my horse, ha! Oh, brave spirit! Now shall we ride across earth and water. Nay, further than that, across fire and air, too. As far as heaven itself, cousin Orléans. The time has come, Lord Constable. Hark how our horses howl for the battle. Mount them. Dig your spurs into their hides with such force to splatter blood into every Englishman's eyes and drown their hopeless sight. No, let us not bloody their eyes, for I'd rather watch as they weep their natural tears. <laughs> the English are now assembled for battle. To horse, you gallant princes, straight to horse. Look upon their poor and starving army. Our great procession will suck away their souls and leave them but shallow husks of men. They've not brought enough war for all of us. There's not enough blood in their sick veins to stain but a fraction of our weapons. Today, our gallant French will draw our swords but stop and sheathe them again for lack of sport. Let us but blow on them and they will fall. Tis certain that the lackeys and peasants who make up the useless infantries which accompany our royal battalions are by themselves enough to purge this land of such a meager foe. Why, tis enough for us to stand upon this mountain's base and simply watch our certain victory. But this would bring us no honor. Therefore, a very little, little let us do and all is done. So let the trumpet sound the signal to mount and the call to charge. For our approach shall so much scare the field that England shall bow down in fear and yield. Why do you stay so long, my lords of France? These tired, desperate English skeletons yet pollute the morning field with the stink of their rotting flesh and flags a tattered. <laughs> our mighty French winds scornfully shred them, and they seem to lack any urge for war. Their eyes peek meekly from their rusting helmets. Their horsemen sit as still as candlesticks, straining to maintain a fire. Their horses lob down their heads as their hides and hips droop, as low as the lids of their pale dead eyes. Their mouths champ at lifeless bits, stained from grass, half masticated by their weakened jaws. Above them loom the knavish crows, waiting impatiently to scavenge on their flesh. There is so little life in their army, I cannot through description alone bring to life how lifeless they do show themselves. They have said their prayers, and they wait for death. Shall we send them dinner in fresh armor? Give their fasting horses provisions first, then fight with them after? <laughs> to the field! Let's not wait for a flag bearer. I'll take a banner from a trumpeter rather than further stay. Come, come, away. The sun is high, and we outwear the day. Where is the king? The king himself rode to view their army. Of fighting men, they have full 60,000. That's five to one. Besides, they are all fresh. God's arms strike with us. These are fearful odds. God be with you, princes. I'll lead my troop. 
If we do not meet till we meet in heaven, then joyfully, my noble lord of Bedford, my dear lord Gloucester, and my good lord Exeter, and my kind warrior kinsmen all, adieu. Farewell, good Salisbury. May luck go with thee. Farewell, kind lord. Fight valiantly today, though I do you wrong to advise you so, for valor is ever embodied in you. Oh, if we now had here but one ten thousand of those men in England that do no work today. What's he that wishes so? My cousin Westmoreland? No, my fair cousin, if we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honor. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. I swear to you, I do not covet gold, nor do I care who gains from my losses. It grieves me not if men my garments wear such outward things live not in my desires. But if it be a sin to covet honor, I am the most offending soul alive. No, my cuz wish not one man from England. I would not trade such a share of honor even in exchange for better hope or odds. Rather, proclaim it throughout this company that he who has no stomach to this fight, let him depart. He shall be granted leave and given crowns for convoy in his purse. We would not die in that man's company who fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He who outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when this day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall see this day in his old age will feast his neighbors yearly on the eve, saying, tomorrow is St. Crispian. Then he will strip his sleeves and show his scars and say, these wounds I had on Crispian's day. Old men forget, yes. History forgets. One day, all will be forgotten, but he will remember what feats he did that day. Then shall our names be as familiar in his mouth as household words. Harry the King, Bedford, Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester shall all be in his flowing cup freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin, Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world without remembrance of we within it. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. No matter his birth or his blood, from this day he is noble. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day! My lord, we must prepare ourselves with speed. The French have taken their battle stances and will with all expedience charge on us. All things are ready if our minds be so. Perish the man whose mind is backward now. You do not wish more help from England, cuz? My liege, I wish that you and I alone, without more help, could fight this royal battle. Ah! Why, now you've unwished 5,000 men. I like it better than a wish for one. You know your places. God be with you all. Hold. The French Herald Montjoy approaches. Once more, I come to ask you, King Harry, to settle terms for payment of ransom before your most assured overthrow. 
You stumble so near the edge of the world, to certain you will fall off of it. Therefore, as an act of mercy, the constable desires to offer your followers a chance at repentance, so that their souls may make a peaceful and sweet retirement from off these fields, where their wretched bodies must lie and fester. Who has sent thee now? The constable of France. Pretty. Send the same answer again. Tell them to come, take me, and sell my bones. Good God, why should they mock poor fellows thus? A man who sells a lion skin when the lion still lives may yet die while hunting the beast. Many of our bodies will no doubt be buried in England. Upon their headstones shall be engraved a badge of this day's work, but for those who leave their valiant bones to be buried here in your French dunghills, they'll have glory too. For the sun will rise and draw their honored souls up to heaven, leaving their earthly mortal parts below to choke your climate with the smell of rot to plague your France. Then you will understand the abounding valor in our English. Even as we die, we will strike at you. Even in our death, we will defy you. Let me speak proudly. Tell the constable we are but warriors of the working day. Our spirits and our armor are besmirched from rainy marching over battlefields. We carry no frills, no feathers for rest. What for? For we stand firm on firmest ground. Time may have worn us down and bedraggled, but good God in heaven, our hearts are full. As my poor soldiers tell me, tomorrow they'll be wearing finer robes in heaven, or else they'll rip those shiny, dainty coats off the beaten backs of every Frenchman they can take from this earth. If they do this, and if God is great, they shall, I'll dare you try and ask again about this ransom. Go now, gentle herald, save your labor. They'll get nothing from me but this body, which I swear to you so fully today that if they take it, it will be empty. Tell the constable. I shall, King Harry, and so fare thee well. Thou shalt never hear herald any more. Uh, I fear you will come once more for ransom. My lord, most humbly on my knee I beg, the honor of leading our vanguard. Take it, brave York. Now, soldiers, march away, and how thou pleasest God, enact this day. The Play On podcast series, Henry V was translated into modern English verse by Lloyd Suh and directed by Krista Williams. The cast is as follows. Stephen Boyer as Pistol and McMorris. Andy Lucian as Bardolph, Westmoreland, Bedford, and Bourbon. Colleen Worthman as Exeter and Orléans. Jeff Beale as Constable, Court, and Gray. Brittany Catherine Allen as Gower, Elise, Burgundy, French Soldier, and Ely. Socorro Santiago as Hostess, Queen Isabel, Governor, Erpingham, and York. Paco Tolson as Dauphin, Nim, Jamie, and Scroop. Lloyd Suh as Chorus and Williams. Bobby Moreno as King Henry V. 
Brad Bellamy as Flewellen and Canterbury, Nikki Masood as Catherine, Boy, First Ambassador, Messenger, and Montjoy, Jordan Barbour as King of France, Cambridge, Bates, and Salisbury. Casting by the Telsey Office, Karen Castle, CSA, and Ada Karamanian. Voice and text coach, Julie Foe. Episode scripts were adapted and produced by Catherine Eaton. Original music composition, sound design, and mix by Shane Reddick. Sound engineering by Sadaharu Yagi. Mix engineer and dialogue editor, Larry Walsh and Robert McNabb. Podcast mastering by Greg Cortez at New Monkey Studio. Coordinating producer, Transcend Streaming, Kira Bowie and Liana Keys. Script supervisor, Jordan Moore. Managing producer, Robert Capadona. Executive producer, Michael Goodfriend. The senior manager of business operations and partnerships at Next Chapter Podcasts is Sally Cade Holmes. The Play On podcast series, Henry V, is produced by Next Chapter Podcasts and is made possible by the generous support of the HITS Foundation. Visit ncpodcasts.com for more about the Play On podcast series. Visit playonshakespeare.org for more about Play On Shakespeare. Hear more about the Play on Shakespeare podcast series by listening to bonus content at ncpodcasts.com, where you'll find interviews with the artists, producers, and engineers who brought it all to life. And remember, your thoughts must crown our kings. Next Chapter Podcasts.